Welcome to This Could Be Gay, a podcast where we explore all the gay possibilities of pop culture. I'm your host, Anya. My pronouns are she, her, and my guest this week is Sarah. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah the King King. You can call me King Sarah. I use she, they pronouns. Um, I didn't, that wasn't clear. You can use Sarah or King or Sarah King, if whatever <laughs> one you want. Um, anyway, I am a... Um, Overall creative in a lot of different spaces, um, developer as a day job, and really just creative in multiple spaces as the rest of my time. And I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Thanks for being here. All right, let's just jump into it. So, um, yeah, go for it. So you know what could be gay, er, is (laughs) Critical Role Season 1. So Critical Role is a... Uh, actual pit play of Dungeons and Dragons, which is a tabletop role-playing game that has been around for a very long time. Um, And it was popularized because the players are voice actors and have the ability to create a very enriching story with Dungeons and Dragons, which is a medium that lends itself to this storytelling aspect. But then also you get cool, funny voices too. Um, And so it's a group of fairly large D&D group, honestly. Um, I think it's, uh, was it six or seven players? Oh, wow. Um, which is much more than I would play during D&D, but they are proficient storytellers, so they know when to give each other space, so it doesn't, it's not crowded at all, but... That's good. Yeah, the first season, um, initially aired on Geek and Sundry and got much more popular and they kind of broke off. They're in the middle of season three right now. Um, their seasons last for, like, years um, or so. So they definitely did learn from the fact that season one could be gayer, but that doesn't make me less salty about some of the, uh, some of the pairings in that first season that were hinted at and we could have had. Right. Yeah. So the main kind of quad of romanceable characters, there were, there were a couple of characters who played, uh, a couple of the actors played characters that were, like, very clearly, I'm not into romance. Like, your big, beefy barbarian mm-hmm. um, who was played by Travis Willingham was like, absolutely not. I, I'm, like, don't want romance. And the player himself was very much like, that's not my jam. So they respected that. Um, but you did have Laura Bailey, who's an unbelievable actress, mm-hmm. anyway, um, playing this character called Vexalia, who was very, like is a half-elven ranger with bows and, like, Ooh. cares about money and is very suave and has this, like, yes, darling kind of talk <laughs> and is, like, very good. Um, and then you have Marisha Ray playing this, like, incredibly awkward, also half-elven druid who's, like, supposed to lead her people but really doesn't know how and is kind of bumbly and cute. And their dynamic is really interesting in the show because it starts off a little... Not antagonistic, but you know when you have a you meet someone and you're like, mm, they really just like aren't my vibe, oh, yeah. and they have you have that initially where you know 
uh, Keyleth, who is played by Marisha Ray, is very much like, we just want to do good. And, like, you don't have to pay us. And Vexali is very much like, no, absolutely, you must pay us. More <laughs> money is good. Sort of thing. And you have this kind of, this this tension that resolves into a really firm, like, support system. And there are... Vexalia's character has a terrible relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of times in the show where Keyleth comes to basically support her in those Mm -hmm. and have this very, like, you know, you... You don't need these people. Mm-hmm. You don't need these men in your life. Like, you're good. And it, the the dynamic between them was very much that kind of playful ribbing, but then also, like, but no one, like, no one messed with this person. Mm-hmm. And there was some really good chemistry there that they opted instead for the straight romance. Which God. is, honestly, it's not my fave. But it also is kind of funny because she, Keyleth ended up romancing the twin brother of <laughs> Vexalia. So, oh, like, really, why did she go for the twin? You right. know? Why did she? Is it because the twin looked exactly like Vexalia? And they, they made mention in the show, too, of, like, it's not like this is the girl twin and this is the boy twin. Mm-hmm. And you can tell because the girl twin looks more feminine. It's li- like there's, there's one point where um, it's mentioned, like, oh, can I tell which one is which? And it's like, no. <laughs> no, you really can't. So I do appreciate that as a as a non-binary person to like have that little like Yeah, no, you can't really tell the difference. Um, which brings us This is okay, this is truly and there are many people in the critical role fan fandom who agree with me on this that uh shouts out to the players. Vexalia's twin brother Vaxeldan so they're Vex and Vax, which yep. definitely was super fun to get, not get confused with. Um, who is canonically bisexual, oh. which is great. Again, as a bisexual, absolutely love seeing bisexuals on the screen. Love it. Um, competent as a fighter, disastrous as a bisexual, and that really does feel very yes, in keeping. Yes, close to home. Yeah. Close to home, very accurate, you know. Yeah. Ready to throw hands unless you say you like me and then I'm just useless. So, <laughs> I was up. I was talking to my therapist about this recently. She was like, you're mostly seeing guys? Like, why aren't you seeing more girls? And I was like, because I don't know how to talk to them. <laughs> Absolutely. I had a wonderful experience in Cork, where I'm super suave, like, flirting, flirting with the guys, like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And, like, one was like, oh, I like your dress. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I like, I like your dress. Hi. Hi. And she was like, you want to dance? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. And we kissed on the dance floor, and I ran away like Cinderella. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what's, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I just turned, and I bolted. Oh. I, like, went outside, and I was just, like, texting my friend. I'm like, sorry, I got to go home. I don't, I don't even know what's going on. So, yeah. <laughs> Facts of that. Absolute dis- disaster bisexual. However, he did have this uh, flirtatious tension with a regular um, NPC or non-player character. So it's not played by another person at the table, but rather is played by the person who also runs the world, in this case, Matt Mercer. And this character's name was Sean Gilmore, was very, very flamboyant, but not in, like, a stereotypical, like, Mm woohoo, you know, cue-off 90s portrayal of gay person flamboyant. It was a, like, 
this is this person is just a big personality sort sure. of thing. Um, and Gilmore and Vax had this continuous flirtation that was picked up on and mentioned multiple times. And there were, like, it was brought up as this, like, hey, can you stop flirting with him? We need to get these goods. Because um, <laughs> Gilmore was a, a store owner. So whenever they would come into town, they're like, hey, we need stuff. I'm going to reach out to Gilmore. Or, like, we're in a pinch. I'm going to reach out to Gilmore. And also, Gilmore is an incredibly proficient wizard, and we need to get somewhere. I'm going to reach out to Gilmore. So, like, this relationship initially started as, like, regulars, but then in, like, a, in a good old coffee shop AU sort of situation. Love it. Turned into something more. Ooh. But they they did so much groundwork of laying how something really flirtatious can turn into something much deeper without you really realizing it. Sure. And you have all these flirtatious moments and you say all these things and suddenly when someone asks, that same person asks, like, oh, how are you? You feel comfortable enough telling them the truth about that. Mm-hmm. And they had that with, with Vex, or with Vax, Antsy. Great. With Vaxeldon <laughs> and Gilmore, and to the point where an enemy wanted to, uh, like, basically wanted revenge on Vax mm-hmm. and was like, okay, I need to shapeshift into something or someone that he will trust. And rather than choosing the love interest that was supposedly posited between Keyleth and uh, Vax, and part of this might also be because if you're like, it's easier for the DM to be like, oh, yeah, it's totally this player. Psych, it's not. Or, like, mm-hmm. it's totally this character. Psych, it's not. If it's not a player. If you're like, hey, why is the person, the actor playing Keyleth not saying something? Hmm, suspicious. Right. Right. So in that way, I guess you could say that's why it is. But storytelling-wise, it felt so significant that the person that this enemy chose was Gilmore. Yeah, absolutely. And the hurt when what Vax thought was like, hey, a proclamation of love turns out to actually be a literal backstabbing was just storytelling wise really powerful and like had such potential for... Again, just really juicy romance, all of the angst, the coming together, the, like, truly hero's journey of gay. Um, Yes. (laughs) And they kind of had that, but they ended it with a, sorry, I'm in love with someone else. Oh, God. Which is sad. Yeah, that is sad. Um, And the actors are great, and so, obviously, the romances that they went with, the canonical romances are great romances. Sure. But there's still that bit of like, oh, we could, we really, we really could have had it all. Yeah. So season one of Critical Role. I love it. Yeah, we talk about that a lot on here. Just we, there's such value to the relationships a lot of the times that do exist, Mm -hmm. but we could have had so much more, (laughs) you know, as far as like representation goes. And yeah, so. Yeah. And I will say to Critical Role, they did follow it up with lots of gay people. Um, so season two is chock-a-block with, you've got, again, disaster bisexual who was also in a toxic polyamorous relationship. Not toxic <laughs> because it was polyamorous, but toxic because the people were toxic. And yes, like, of course. You know, like really appreciate that kind of 
representation of just, like, here's a good storytelling where this, like, you know, LGBTQA aspect of it is not its main story point, but just an accessory. Uh And it was, like, a... It made a lot of sense for it to be that kind of relationship. It was, like, really interesting storytelling in that way. Um, You had a two canonically lesbian characters in there. Um, You had another character... Like, there was a lot more of that representation in season two. Same with season three. You've got more gay people. Um, One, because being gay is fun. Two... Of course. um, Again, I think they heard what people were saying and specifically the disappointment in those, those two in particular were very like, we could have had it all. Could have had it all. As, as, especially when you have those like bisexual, pansexual representations that mm-hmm. end up in a straight relationship. Yeah. Is always like very disappointing. You're yeah. like, couldn't at least one of them, one of them maybe. And it's like, nope, all three, all three. Not that there's anything less queer about yeah, that. But exactly. Yeah. It's just from a representation perspective, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well. <laughs> yeah, you definitely didn't hear it here first, folks, but you could have heard it here first. <laughs> Critical one. Critical role of season one could have been gayer. <laughs> much, much gayer. Much, much gayer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'm bringing Good Omens. So good. Um, it has been a while since I've watched it, so I apologize to anyone who has recently watched it and understands just how <laughs> much I've forgotten. <laughs> same, same. Um, but basically, the TV show is about these two characters. Um, the one, first one is played by Michael Sheen. His name is Aziraphale. And we've got David Tennant playing Crowley. Um... And they are, sorry, there's a lot going on here. So it follows a bunch of different themes, uh, like Christian themes, because uh, Aziraphale's an angel and Crowley is... A demon. A demon. And so, you know, there's that tension there. Um, And they're both trying to kind of work together to stave off an Armageddon that's going to happen. Basically, a child is born, and they're supposed to be born into this family, but the child accidentally gets placed with another family. So when they go to kind of intervene, it turns out that it's the wrong kid. And so they have to kind of track down the right kid, uh, who is like the Antichrist or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. So they, ha- they get into all these shenanigans, but basically they're in love. Um, that, that's what I think. And that's what is true. <laughs> it is. And I will say the kind of like what we were talking about, even with the season one of Critical Role, with that kind of long forming relationship. Yeah. The show does that really well of showing these two characters who are allegedly opposed. Yeah. You know, one's an angel, one's a demon, one's trying to, they're both supposedly trying to fight for their side in Armageddon. And, yes. You know. I want the angels to win. I want the demons to win. But over such a long time, it the show does a really good job of showing, after so long, how close that relationship becomes. Oh, absolutely. And they've both been on Earth since Earth began, quote-unquote. And so they've both gotten used to, like, the things that they like about Earth. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why they kind of team up, because they don't want Earth to go away. They want to keep their, like, earthly pleasures and things. <laughs> um, and there's just a lot of gazing longingly. There's know? also There's also some, like 
slightly catty fights that are like, I don't want to actually say what I feel, so instead I'm just going to be mad about it. Yes. Followed by shots of the essentially like, (laughs) cue the rain pouring down the window, staring longingly out like, (laughs) nobody understands what I'm going through. You've got affectionate pet names, too. Like, That's Crowley true. calls Aziraphale Angel. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think Aziraphale does waffle between, mostly calls him Crowley, but sometimes when he's mad, we'll call him, like, Demon or something. Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah, so you have, like, affectionate pet names. Yep. And um, you really do have pretty much all of the love languages displayed there. You've got the words of affirmation yeah. of, like, yeah, you're actually good at your job. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, you're, we're evenly matched. You've got, you know, the the gift giving of, mm-hmm. hey, you've got a spot on your jacket that I'm just going to use my, like, miracle power to wish away because you won't do it. You, you know, <laughs> this show, it's got all of the signs of love. It really does. And just, it would be cool to see, because, I don't know, in fantasy, mm-hmm. it's it's such a, like, male-dominated thing, especially stuff that gets, like, TV shows, like Game of Thrones and, like, The all Witcher. That, yeah, The Witcher. Just all that shit. It's so male-dominated, but we don't get any of those, like, tender friendships mm-hmm. like we got in here. And I feel like just a little bit more, and we would have had it. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things that, because it's based off of a book by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett that they right. wrote together. And a couple people have brought up the like, hey, are these boys gay? Because um, <laughs> all signs point to gay. Um, <laughs> all of them. Literally all of them. And um, and this might, I, no, I don't have the correct quote, but I do th- remember somewhere uh, Neil Gaiman essentially saying like, I didn't feel comfortable making that call without Terry Pratchett here. Yeah. Um, And to a certain extent, while I, again, a lot of us do wish that there could be more, what I do really appreciate about the series is that they never, they never shut it down. Right. Like there's no, oh, this is your female angel, which again, angels with gender hilarious but like here's your female angel ex-girlfriend or like oh your spicy devil woman interest they never do that right which is very common in a lot of shows especially shows that like get a whiff of their fan base being like hey could this be gay and they're like absolutely not i'm looking at supernatural i was gonna say i'm looking at you supernatural Yeah, and that ending, Jesus Christ. I, I stopped after, like, season nine or something. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a garbage show. But they finally, at the very end, they were like, yeah, you know, Cass is gay for Dean. Of course. But Dean, it's not reciprocated. And I'm just like, y'all, fuck off. <laughs> fuck right off. <laughs> yeah, D- Dean really did give off some truly incredible bisexual energy. That oh, they really. Course could have done such some cool stuff with but again they're just like it was very anti-fan base of like how dare you read into this this specific way it's like i don't know maybe not make your media that way yeah maybe have you considered writing dean less bisexual (laughs) (laughs) have you considered making them a little less gay just you know you know oh you want to make them less less gay but you still want to keep them cool sorry (laughs) we're cool we're cool and that's how it works yeah um another thing i want to mention about good omens is um, one of my friends, who was actually on our last episode, Mila, 
has talked about um, how it was it's great ace representation mm-hmm. because they have all of the elements of like a loving relationship um, without you know sexual desire that's yeah. explicitly shown on the show. So I think that it is cool that. I mean, while it's never said that they're ace, that they could very well be. Yeah. And I think it it helps a lot that the show did so much to show the loving and the pining and Mm -hmm. the wanting. And all of it was very much of these, this, these are very much, they're a couple. Mm -hmm. They, while they got the wrong antichrist child, they spent the entire time of that child's like adolescence, essentially raising him Mm -hmm. in like, trying to be quite literally the good angel and bad demon on, like, bad devil on his shoulder, but still very much, like, in union with the raising of this child. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to, you know, stopping the apocalypse, they have... They work in sync. They work in tandem. Mm -hmm. They have very similar ideas. And a lot of what's keeping them apart in any way is this kind of clinging to... uh, Clinging to loyalties that they think they should have. Right. But it is still very much a companionship, a union. And I think that is great ace representation. Again, even if it's not explicitly said. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's very clear that there is love and affection there and being ace doesn't mean that you lack love and affection or that you can be not partnered in any way, you know? So yeah, it is truly good representation on that spectrum. And also just like showing really, cause it's kind of like, um, Sir Ian McKinnon pushing a couple of things in the Lord of the Rings movie. Mm -hmm. And specifically, um, when like Frodo wakes up from, uh, in Rivendell mm-hmm. um, after being stabbed by the ring wraiths and, like, you know, getting taken off by Arwen. I, it's fine, I'm a nerd. Um, and <laughs> like, like, you know all the names. <laughs> yeah, and, like, wakes up and has that, like, really awkward scene where it's, like, very, like, everything is lightly, br- like, br- very light and airy, and he's in the bed, and he's like... <gasps> you know, oh, Mary. And Mary comes in and is, like, jumping on the bed, and there's, like, a little pillow fight sort of thing or whatever. But there's one bit where Sam, his, like, lifelong friend and companion comes in, and Sir Ian McKinnon convinced them to, like, hold hands in this moment. Really? Yes. And what he said to them was, in the books they hold hands, it will be, it'll be more realistic. And you're, you, there's, there's a gift set on Tumblr that, like, pairs these two things together where, in the after commentaries of it, um, you know, Elijah Wood, who plays um, Frodo, and I think also Sean Astin, who plays Sam, were like, yeah, Ian has just, like, incredible eye for detail, like, knew all these, like, small details from the book. And later on, Sir Ian McKinnon is like, I mean, what I wanted is they, they will not know how much that gesture means to someone like me in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, while, like, straight people will just miss it as, like, they're such good friends. <laughs> but for those of us who can pick up on it, it means so much more. And I think with Good Omens, while it would be revolutionary to say it out loud and make it explicit and have them share a kiss or anything like that, mm-hmm. on the other hand, it's like that if you know, you know. Yeah. 
And it's, it's, this affection is real. This love is real. And if you know, you know. Yeah. And I think that, that's why it definitely, like, there's definitely no queer baiting in there, but it's also just, like, really, it's a really good, one, it's an incredible show. Um, yes. And Neil Gaiman does very good with gay characters. You can watch Sandman if you want some more explicitly gay characters. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that that bit made, those two always connected the dots for me of the Surya and McCann being like, it meant a lot. It, like, I knew that it would mean a lot to people in the cinema, even if the straight people didn't catch it. Right. Kind of incognito. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram at Anya Monique, and you can find the podcast on Instagram at This Could Be Gay. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. She kissed me in a way that I've never been kissed before. She kissed me in a way that I want to be kissed forevermore. I know that she was mine, so I gave her